1: My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, we're continuing the series of property core skills, and this week we're going to be looking at managing properties, uh, projects, and portfolios. And uh, this is part one, if you like, of that uh, particular subcategory or property core skill. And this is what I call content week. So this is just me, if you like, talking to set the scene, and then hopefully over the next couple of weeks we'll have a bit of a discussion that goes on around the same topic to deepen uh, and and broaden the the conversation. So let's just get into it. Um, Managing properties, projects, and portfolios, three Ps, obviously. Um, Now what I did is I kind of just pieced together, okay, right, what would I summarize in each of the areas, whether it's managing a property, managing a project, or managing a portfolio, kind of map that out. And then I realized there's a lot of commonalities. There's a lot of common themes, if you like. So I'm going to start by just summarizing the themes, and then we're going to get into how they may be slightly vary depending on whether you're looking at a uh, property, uh, managing a property, managing a project, or managing your portfolio. Um, So there is some commonality, but there is some differences too. So the the eight points, which I guess are um, common, are as follows. So we've got location. So location is one of the most important considerations um, that we, we need to consider. And along with location comes the investment fundamentals. So it isn't just a case of necessarily picking next door uh, to where we live. It's, it's also looking at you know, how valid that is from an investment point of view. The second point is running the numbers. So we need to quantify and uh, qu- qualify, if you like, the investment, what it means to us. Is it going to deliver on our returns, what our return expectations and, uh, and, and we need some criteria to judge that against, so to set you up for what's coming. The third thing we need to look at is um, who is going to be occupying the property or buying the property from us, depending obviously what the nature of our uh, exit is. If it's managing a property, that's probably a tenant or an occupant of some description. And if we're undertaking a project, it could still be a tenant if we're planning to retain that property. But of course, it could be a buyer if we're looking to sell it on. The fourth element is stakeholder qualification, as I like to call it. So that's just basically uh, checking who you're working with. Okay. So stakeholders are anybody who's got an interest in your property, your project, your portfolio. Anybody that you engage, anybody that you serve, actually. So we'll come on to that. Next is our, our respective engagement level. So that you know, basically, is how much time and effort and energy do we want to put into into the particular property? Project or portfolio, and we could either be active, passive, or use some uh, level of delegation or outsourcing in that in that respect. The sixth area is is property project or portfolio management. So that's taking on the engagement level to a different type of uh, level. I suppose it's just you know taking a slightly higher higher view of that. The seventh area is operating as a business. Now, if you listen to my podcast for any length of time, you know that I often talk about operating our property investments and projects as a business. So we, it's no surprise, I'm sure, to hear that's one of the key points. And the eighth and final point, which I guess comes up, is time horizons. And time horizons could be short, medium, or long term. So there we go. So that's just set the scene. Um, so now we're going to dive into each of those areas. I'm going to look at uh, managing proper, uh, Sorry, yes, managing properties next. And uh, just going to run through some of those particular elements for you. So with regard to managing properties, it's probably, as it's managing a property, it's probably mid to long term as a time horizon. So I'm just going to talk about time horizons at the beginning. Yeah, We're probably going to be holding it for a reasonable period of time, period of years, if not decades. Okay, so mid, years, long, decades. That's the first consideration. So it's, it's kind of a long-term engagement. And the first point is really to consider the location. So where do we want to invest? So this is really a property that we're going to hold and we're going to rent it out. So we need to look at what we call the investment fundamentals. That's things like the supply and demand for rental property. Um, and you know some of the indicators that can also help with that are population, not just the overall size of the population in the catchment area, But the trend, population growth, population decline, uh, sorry, population stagnation. So population and trending is one of the key things I would suggest you look at. Uh, Another characteristic is employment. So relative to what is the employment level in the local area? I mean, this is obviously going to be relevant to the type of tenants that you want to attract. If you want to attract a benefits tenant, you're probably looking for high unemployment, actually. But most of us are probably looking for working tenants of some description. So therefore, we're looking for perhaps average or below average unemployment in the local area. We need to consider things like transport links. How easy how easy is it for our tenant to get to where they need to go, usually to work, uh, but also for leisure and entertainment purposes as well. So transport links, which is, which are relevant to our tenant occupant. So it could be a bus. It could be a tram. It could be a train. It could be a car. could even be a, a bike um, or, or other type of public transport. So a bike isn't public transport, you know what I mean. So um, transport is the next one. Amenities. Uh, amenities are things like shops and uh, post offices and doctors, restaurants, bars, entertainment, etc. cetera. Um, schools. I always mention schools. Uh, schools could be relevant if it's family, could be relevant if it's a postgrad or a student occupant. Um, it could be largely um, irrelevant or actually relevant for a different purpose if you're trying to attract a different type of occupant. So if someone who doesn't want to be next door to a school wouldn't you know maybe a young professional might not be next door to, want, might not want to be next door to a school for example. So schools is relevant but it could be irrelevant if you follow me. And another one I really like to look at is inward investment. So inward investment falls into two categories public or private. So public investment is things like, you know, infrastructure projects, redevelopment projects in the local area, you know, is is money being pumped in from government, either central or uh, local. And equally, uh, inward investment could come from uh, the private sector as well. And that's usually in the forms of, you know, new jobs being created and new jobs being created because someone's coming into the local area. So, um, you know, it could be an employer who's uh, coming into the area and attracting jobs, jobs, And that could also bring in their supply chain as well. So with employment as well, what I tend to look at is, or employers, is trying to avoid a concentration of a single employer in in an area where there's too much dependency on that particular employer. So have a bit of a diversification, but look for strong inward investment, whether it's public or private. Of course, the other thing with location to consider is literally where is it in relation to where we live or work? And um, that's going to drive how easy it's going to be for us to be involved in the management side of things. And I'm going to come back to the management side of things in a minute. So where is it relative to where we live or work? And of course, there's, well, not of course, but there could be a trade-off. There could be a trade-off with where the investment location is versus where we live or where we work. So for example, there's, you know, there's let's be transparent about it. There's usually, uh, there is a north-south divide There's higher earnings in the South and uh, less earnings in the North, for example. And yet, investment returns in terms of gross yield, at least, are higher in the North and lower in the South. So you've got this sort of disconnection. If you like, there's the concentration of income and wealth, dare I say it, in the South, but there's the concentration of opportunity to get a return on your investment, perhaps in the North. And when I say the North, I just mean outside of the you know, the, the, of London, it ripples out from London, if you like, as you go. So, not trying to cast any, you know, doubts on any particular area, but that's just the fact. So, uh, there's going to be a trade-off uh, in terms of performance, perhaps, um, income returns and capital returns is something else to keep in mind. I mean, I wish I could have. You know, if I had a pound for every time I ask somebody what's more important to you, income or capital returns, and their answer being both, <laughs> I'd be a very wealthy man. Um, but basically, you. Don't usually get both. Uh, And if you do, it's, you know, you can target areas where you might get both. So an upcoming area, which has got high income in the short term, um, which means a a high yield in the short term, where prices might rise. Ironically, then you'll start to get a squeeze on rents as prices rise, funny enough. But uh, so you can catch a wave, if you like, and get some capital growth uh, by choosing an area, you know, well. And of course, over the long, long term, you'll get capital growth anyway. In fact, there's been some research which actually says in terms of buy-to-let investing, um, you, you get approximately 50% of your returns from income and 50% returns from capital. So i just contradicted myself there. But that's basically over a long period of time, a period of decades, essentially. So, But decide what's mo- most important to you. So here's a hint. If you're looking to supplement or replace your job income, then income's going to be your priority. If you're looking for more long-term saving, pension and legacy planning, then capital is going to possibly be more relevant to you. And you know I know people like to mix and match and get the best of both worlds. There you go. The, the second thing to consider is, is what I call running the numbers. So when we're looking at uh, managing properties, we need to provide for all of the costs. And I again, if I had a pound for everyone who I speak to who does not look at all of the costs. So there's usually a joke that's is Richard's model versus your model and in my model, I provide for voids and maintenance, for example, and management costs. If you're going to use somebody to to manage the property for you, and by the way, even if you're not using somebody to manage the property for you, you better price in the value of your time. So uh, include, you know, provision for all costs, everything. Um, have a financing strategy. Mm, okay, what does that mean? Well, a lot of people say, should I go for a, you know, should I go for a, a variable mortgage, two year fix, five year fix, ten year fix, etc. Well. That's actually quite a big topic, and I don't really have time to go into it now. But needless to say, I look at what I call the total cost of financing. I look at equity, uh, leverage, and debt ratios. I look at uh, whether fixed or variable makes sense, uh, depending on you know perhaps a view on interest rates. Also, what my plans are with the property, because I may not want to keep this forever. So I, might, I may need to build in some flexibility. Um, so they're the things uh, in, in, in terms of the financing strategy. The next thing to look at is what I call KPIs or key performance indicators. So I boil these down normally just to two or three. And so you could have something like net annual cash flow um, or and, and or profit. Cash and profit are different, by the way. Um, and you could have return on investment as two examples. OK, but you could have like payback period. You could have your debt ratio, loan to value ratio, things like that. So have key performance indicators. And here's the next point. Have written investment criteria. So have investment criteria, which includes your key performance indicators, but know what it is you're looking for. And this is really helpful. So if you have a conversation with an agent or a property sourcer and they go, what are you looking for? You can go, I'm looking for a two bed uh, terrace house in Stockport with a minimum yield of you know, 6.5%. And you know you know that translates into whatever return on, it, on investment uh, ratio you're looking for and whatever net, net cash flow you're looking for but it's going to be really helpful in being able to articulate what you're looking for other people and crucially to be able to judge and decide what is a good investment for you when it's presented to you. So have written investment criteria is my takeaway there. Then we've got occupancy options and I use the word occupancy because it isn't always, strictly speaking, a tenant. So in the res- if you're looking at a residential property, which kind of most of us probably are, not all of us, but a residential property, your prime choices are a lodger, whether it's in your own home, um, a single-let tenant uh, on a standard short-hold tenancy, uh, a multi-let tenant, perhaps in an HMO, uh, or short-stay uh, accommodation. So service accommodation would be an example of that. So you might stay a night, you might stay a week, you might stay a month, but you're not necessarily locked into a six-month or longer uh, tenancy agreement. So understanding what the occupancy options are, um, for your um, your particular investment. And of course, on the commercial, you predominantly got single-let lease or multi-let license um, options there to consider too. And and here's, a, here's a, my, my takeaway there is um, have the opportunity perhaps to repurpose. So if you're looking at an HMO, what does it look like as a single-let? If you're looking at service accommodation, what does it look like as a single-let? So always have the opportunity and review the alternative from a repurposing point of view. Next point is um, stakeholder qualification. So stakeholder, as I mentioned earlier, is anyone who's got an interest in your property, and so that's um, it. Could be people living in it, living in it. It could be people who managing it. It could be people doing work on it. Uh, it could be people who are co-investing in it. So um, uh, do your research, due diligence, and checkups is really the point here. So that boils down to what I call having your own eyes and ears on on the property and uh, use trusted advisors. So if you're, um, how do I put this? If you're using a managing agent, a letting agent, then check on what they're doing. Manage the manager. Um, If you're getting somebody in, it's a bit premature because I'm talking about projects, but I won't drift into projects. But, you know, have trusted advisors if you can't get there yourself. So if you're remote from the property, have an independent trusted advisor, someone you trust who is independent of the person performing the service for you. It could be using a service like Vuba. It could be using a local friend or property uh, connection that you have who just goes in now and again and checks on things for you. Um, But the background thing to be, be careful of or be wary of is to check reputations, take references, check on memberships, and do physical inspections. And all of that can be summarized in the phrase, trust but verify. Okay, So trust but verify when dealing with stakeholders, anybody connected with your property. Well, the next key category is um, tenants. So having said occupancy, options can vary. If I use the word tenant, I actually mean occupants. And so um, the first thing to be mindful of is tenants are our customers. Um, so a lot of people forget that. They seem to There seems to be a hierarchy. I'm a landlord, you're a tenant, a hierarchical relationship. Actually, I see that not in that way at all. I see that my tenants are my customers. I need to serve my customers. And if I serve my customers, then they will serve me. So there's this sort of symbiotic relationship between a tenant and a landlord in my world. And I suggest you have that similar approach that if you treat a tenant as a customer, you're going to do okay. And um, of course, our properties are their homes. They live in the homes, in a, in in, in, uh, in our properties, and they, and there's their homes. So it's really important that the uh, standard in which we um, leave the property is, uh, and I'm going to come on to that in terms of property management, is safe, decent, and habitable. But when we're dealing with tenants, we need to reference them, we need to vet them, we need to undertake inspections. And, um, you know, they're the main things we need to consider in that respect. But we also need to stay current with the rules and regulations. And believe you me, there are lots of them. I think somewhere between 70 and 120 different rules, regulations, laws, etc., that we need to be uh, aware of rather as a landlord. And of course, if we start drifting into things like HMO. Or service accommodation, that is just going to increase the level of complexity and compliance that we need to be mindful of, which does bring into into mind things like training and accreditation schemes. So, um, do seriously consider getting trained or accredited, perhaps with one of the landlord bodies, if you, particularly, particularly if you're looking at some form of self management. And guess what? That cues me up to talk about management. Um, and so with management, we've got a number of options. The, the straightforward choices are whether we do it ourselves, and that's self-managing, or whether we outsource it, which is usually giving it to a letting agent. So there, you know, this seems a bit black and white, um, but essentially they're the two main options. Um, there is a third option, which is, you know, in-house management. So the are sort of doing it ourselves, but we actually delegate the the work to someone who works for us. So that could be a part-time property manager, it could be a full-time property manager. And in, you know, that probably only comes into play when we get to a reasonable size and scale where um, the rental income is going to justify the expense of employing somebody. So that would be the delegated option. And I guess the things to consider are um, you know, whether we want to be an investor or a landlord. Uh, a landlord is hands-on DIY, dealing with tenants and toilets essentially. Whereas an investor looks at their you know, property as an investment, and and perhaps you know values their time, and um, and does an exercise to go. Well, actually, you know what? I'll probably I'd probably you know rather spend my time doing this, that, or the other, and I'll pay somebody else to do this for me. So decide whether you're going to be an investor or a landlord. Value your time, whether you're actually spending your time yourself uh, or not get up to date with the, um, the, the regulations and the rules and whether that's that for you to administer or whether it's to you to manage the person who's administering things for you. And uh, that takes me on to my final point, which is responsibility versus accountability. So we are always, always, always accountable for what happens in our properties. Uh, we can delegate responsibility and ask other people to do things on our behalf, but we are always, always accountable So that means if something goes wrong, it's still our fault at the end of the day. So keep that in mind. So even if you're using a letting agent, do not just let them get on with it. Manage the manager, manage the agent. So remember, we retain that accountability and there could be some serious consequences if we let that go and something happens um, to the property or to the tenants, God forbid. The sixth point is about property management. And so um, here, it's about you know thinking about things like this is you know we need to look after the property. There will be repairs and maintenance that need to be undertaken to the property on a regular basis. We also need to recognise that we're you know these are people's homes, so we need to provide them with a safe, decent, and habitable place to live. Um, and 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 that means keeping up to date and and you know dealing with problems that arise. Uh, we need to plan in you know for updating the property replacing things in it like boilers, carpets, uh, white goods and um, and also ensuring the property to make sure that it's well uh, protected in case something goes wrong and that's whether there is something serious like a fire um, or a theft but it's also for things potentially like malicious damage. you know the tenant could you know destroy things uh, in the property and it'd be good to have that level of cover so the 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 takeaway phrase there is decent homes for decent people to live in, and the final point on managing properties is operate it as a business. yes, I said that earlier, so that means like keeping our paperwork in order, making sure we're compliant, registering with h m r c so that we declare our taxes, registering with the i c o the information commissioner's office so that we you know we keep people's data safe um having um regular sorry up to date gas and electric uh, electric tests. And those sorts of things. But equally to use you know, systems and technology. Now, a system is not necessarily a piece of tech, it can be just a method of recording things. So it could be a lever arch file, could be you know paper and a pen, a notebook, and a journal, it could be those sort of things. But have systems and technology to be able to record, measure, track, and notify us. So notify us means it's probably got alerts, you know, data alerts, etc. Um, when things need to happen, like the annual gas, gas safety certificate, things like that. And do review our investment performance periodically. And I suggest annually. Um, you might want to re- review it more regularly, especially uh, you want to check you've got your rent coming through more regularly than annually. But uh, you want to in- review the investment uh, performance annually. You want to review the cash flow. I'm going to come on to cash flow in a, in a future episode a bit more regularly than that, probably every month. And I guess the takeaway phrase is to be professional in your operation. So there we go. That's managing properties. Next um, sub point is really managing projects. Similar points really. So hopefully I can condense them down and just talk about the, the variations. So we we'll to start with location. Yes, same thing. So um, we need to look at the investment fundamentals for the location uh, if we're managing a, pro- a project. Now, a project could be uh, work we're undertaking on a kind of rental property so we could be uh, we could be refurbishing it we could be extending it for example and so that's kind of a small project that's not really a development project but if it's a development project um, where we're converting something you know to converting a building into separate units or we're building something from the ground up then we do need to look at the investment location and we're to look at it perhaps in a slightly different light because we we're probably going to exit that project. Uh, maybe by selling those units and so we're looking at the sales market rather than the rental market perhaps. So the investment fundamentals will vary slightly but there'll be some common elements to what I said earlier and um, I'd suggest in that case we would be looking at the average time to sell as well as uh, rental criteria. The second point is running the numbers, of course it is, running the numbers. So the thing with running a project is that we've got time and we've got budget um, issues going on So we normally have, and they both cost money fundamentally, time and budget cost money, I mean, budget obviously costs money, but time uh, equals money, particularly if we're financing things. Uh, And even if you say, well, I'm not financing, it's just my own cash, you know, or something like that. Well, time, you know, before you get your rental returns increased or you get, you know, get your money back out by refinancing has still got a value attached to it. So keep that in mind. And so um, both time and budget tend to overrun, basically. So plan for that, have a contingency that allows you to cover off those two, um, you know, elements that can increase the cost of your uh, property uh, project. And so um, what I tend to do is, is plan for a best, a mid and a worst case scenario. Um, hopefully you you get those judgments right, but uh, best, mid and worst case scenario. And if you can live with the worst case, then you're probably doing okay. And if you get the best case, fantastic. Equally, have uh, an eye on the financing. And what I, well, the reason I'm talking about this is to have the right type of financing for the project at hand. So if it's a short-term project, you probably need short-term financing in place, in other words. So that could be bridging finance, for example, or bringing in fi- private finance on a short-term basis. Um, which brings me on to the next point is, are you using your own funds? Or are you perhaps you you know you're taking the opportunity to use other people's funds on this project and to give them a, a return? And so you, you're considering the trade-off with, let's say, expensive traditional financing versus um, maybe it could be expensive for the people or private investor financing, but there could be you know time and uh, ease of dealing with uh, private investors perhaps versus bridging lenders. But equally, you know, bridging has definitely got its place. And in terms of key performance indicators, you know, they're going to be similar, but they're going to be much more relevant to um, running a project in this particular case. So it's more of a short-term focus. One of the things that I want to bring in here now is the issue of risk and risk and return. So, when you're looking at a project, and even if that's, um, yeah, even if it's a refurbishment type of project, there's, there are some risks. So, if it's more of a uh, conversion or ground up development project, you've got development risk. But even if it's an extension project or refurbishment project, there's still development, but with a small d. And so, you have development risk that you need to take account of. There could be planning risk if you're going for planning. Uh, whether that's uh, permitted development or whether it's full planning there could also be market timing risk so in, in a project you're in the deal you're in the project for a period of time and usually that period of time is is at least months if not a year or two and so um what is a market going to look like when you've finished your project now if it's, a, if it's a couple of months probably hasn't changed very much if it's a couple of years it could change quite a bit so you need to price in the cost of the risk in your return expectations in other words Uh, with managing projects you need to consider your exit options and primarily you're going to exit either by selling renting refinancing and renting or um, a mix and match essentially of those particular things depending on how many obviously you can't mix and match if you've only got one unit but if you've got multiple units you can mix and match potentially you can sell some keep some etc and do consider whether you pull some of your money out as well by refinancing stakeholder qualification same as I said before effectively and that's really trust but verify so I'm not going to repeat that. Um, You need to think about your target buyer so if you're if it's a project where you're selling then of course you're you're looking at who's going to buy this property so it's not a tenant that's going to be occupying it's a buyer and homeowners have different expectations to tenants and so therefore your end product needs to be geared up to that particular audience or that particular target. And then also consider how you're going to sell. Are you going to sell it off plan? Are you going to build a show home? Um, are you going to have visual plans, brochures, hoardings, um, or use sort of 3D render? Are you going to engage an agent earlier on? How are you going to sell it? So consider that. And obviously, if you can reduce the time, time to sell um, by getting you know ahead of the curve in terms of marketing the property, it's going to reduce your overall time in the deal, and that's going to reduce your overall cost in the deal. And um, you know, when we're talking about managing properties, we're talking about property management. But here with managing projects, we're talking about project management. And so with project management, um, you know, the key points are uh, to consider the track record of ourselves and also the people on our team. And so we need to consider the experience of the builder, the professionals, the trades, uh, anyone who's involved in project oversight and inspecting the property as well. Uh, sorry, project as well. So that could be us, but we could uh, buy in that resource. We could borrow that resource. We could partner with that resource. So I think the key thing is to know our own limits and to not bite off more than we can chew. chew. And as we grow, and often we do, we can grow perhaps incrementally, um, but we can match our growth to our experience level and stretch a little bit outside of a comfort zone without stretching the elastic band to the point of breaking point. Uh, but equally we can borrow the experience as I've alluded to by perhaps working with other people in some way. So just consider the experience and the track record of the people around us and ourselves, of course. Equally operating a business, very much the same as with managing uh, properties. So we're getting towards the end now. So um, in just kind of drawing a conclusion, we've got uh, managing the portfolio as well. So from a time horizon point of view, Uh, Bearing in mind, this is a portfolio, probably of rental properties. It's a long-term time horizon. It's probably measured in in decades. So similarly, we're going to run the numbers, okay? So we need a method to run the numbers for our portfolio. So obviously, when you look at an individual property, when you're taking it on board, you're running the numbers from that investment point of view at that point in time. But as we start to own properties and develop a portfolio, we want to be able to run the numbers for the entire portfolio. So then we start to consolidate things into a central place. And that might include things like um, having them on a spreadsheet or a system which uh, totals and averages and uh, gives us you know, sort of um, a tracker system, if you like, or a dashboard type of approach to managing our portfolio as an overview so that we can then drill down into individual properties, measure the performance of the particular properties Um, perhaps over time, perhaps on an individual basis. And we need to have some kind of review system um, so that we can check on things on a periodic basis. I would suggest annually. Some people might prefer to do it more frequently. Um, What I do in my own case is I review my entire portfolio annually, round about tax return time, but I I review individual uh, properties within my portfolio when there's a trigger moment. And those trigger moments tend to be on retenanting or refinancing, typically. So I have a couple of trigger moments and then I have more of a, a, a sort of an annual review system in my own case and have criteria upon which to measure the performance. So um, I just use a traffic light red, amber, green system, uh, which, which you know, I can color code my portfolio performance, red, amber, green, according to my investment criteria. Green means it's probably okay, doesn't mean necessarily leave it alone, but it's probably okay. Amber means it might need some attention, maybe not now, maybe down the track. And, and red is get get in there now and sort it out, okay? So there we go. And And I ask myself this question whenever I do a review, is it serving my purpose? That's the second point, is it serving my purpose? And so I consider um, whether it's serving my purpose in terms of the returns, whether that's income or capital, is it serving my um, purpose in terms of equity and debt and uh, borrowing levels, if you like, well, debt is borrowing uh, levels. And I, I always ask the three R's question, can I repurpose the property for another, for another purpose, obviously? So that could be reclassifying it or repurposing it for a different tenant type, for example, Um, Could I release some equity? So has the equity gone up? Do I want to refinance and release equity uh, for maybe, you know, other investment uh, purposes or even uh, to just take it back, um, you know, and and diversify into different asset classes, for example? I do want to redeploy it. Um, So uh, redeploy really in this sense means do I want to sell the asset? Do I want to sell the asset, cash my chips in, and then maybe utilize the equity uh, that I get back in my hands? Obviously, I probably realise a tax bill at that point in time as well, so keep that in mind. But um, I do often review my properties and decide whether I want to keep them or not, uh, or redeploy them. So ask yourself the three R's, repurpose, release, re- redeploy the equity in your uh, individual properties, uh, and obviously taking account the, por- the entire portfolio. Then we need to look at property management, but perhaps now in a different light. So once we start talking about portfolio, we need to consider things on a sort of global basis, if I can say that, a consolidated basis. So things like repair and replacement costs are going to start accumulating, costs of updates and refurbishment um, and significant replacement costs. So, you know, might need a new roof after a decade, might need a new electrical system or a new gas central heating system. So the repairs, renewals and replacements and refurbishment expenses will naturally increase with a portfolio and naturally increase with a longer time horizon so keep that in mind. But also look at the management options. So we might have been happy to be a DIY landlord or use exclusively letting agents. Well, as our portfolio grows and we add the number of units, we're adding units to our portfolio, there may be the option to bring things in-house. And that's exactly what I've done now. I've got a part-time property manager um, where I've got a concentration of properties and, um, and 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 that works quite well for me. So I have somebody who works for me. It's probably better for me in that in that particular case than having a letting agent. But I've got a concentration of properties that can help fund and justify that expense. And it probably become and quite a number of units, quite a, or at least a quite a different uh, level of rental income before you can perhaps justify that kind of overhead. And um, uh, funny enough, we'll probably. I already know because we've already had a conversation with the panel on this, so I know what they have to say on that. So I won't, I won't spoil it. I'll let them share what they have to say about that. The other thing with a portfolio is we need to be more strategic with our financing. So what does that mean? It means looking at the, the loan-to-value across the entire portfolio. And um, when we're looking at it across the entire portfolio, we might think we want an average loan-to-value. But within that average, we might say 70%, 60%, 50%, Um, which would be a nice buffer against, um, you know, perhaps market crashes, for example, God forbid. But um, there may be some properties where we've got zero debt and some properties which are at the maximum, you know, of our loan-to-value. So it doesn't have to be that every single asset in our portfolio who's got a 65% loan-to-value, for example. We can mix and match there. But we look at things globally and then we just take a view about how we want to allocate the, uh, the debt across our entire portfolio. And it could also give rise to different financing options as well. So we could look at financing the entire portfolio with one lender, but I probably wouldn't recommend that. Uh, One or two lenders gives you high concentration risk with a lender, so I'm not sure I'd go with that option. I'd probably spread it around a bit, Uh, but it does allow you to have things like portfolio topping up. What do I call it? A hunting license. Yeah, you can actually have a top slice of your equity available to draw upon as a facility to go and bag uh, a particular bargain at some point in time. So it does bring into play different types of financing option. The other consideration is risk or risk management, risk management mitigation actually. So we need to have things like a contingency fund that could be an actual cash fund that we set aside for sort of expected unexpected things. So there will be things that happen you know, we need to replace a boiler now and again. That's an expected, unexpected cost, if you like. So we need to have a contingency plan or contingency fund for that. Some people don't actually do it. They go, well, I've got equity in my property. I can release it if I need it. Or I've got a bunch of credit cards which we've got no balance and, you know, I can call upon them if I need them too. I'm not against those ideas. It's just that have a plan is really the point. The other thing is that we, from a risk point of view, it'd be ideal if we can diversify. We can diversify in a number of ways. We can diversify by having um, different tenant types. We could diversify by investing in different locations. We can also diversify but not being exclusively invested in property and having investments in different asset classes. So as we mature, these are the sort of things that we start to consider. And obviously, during the pandemic, I had about four different property income sources. Um, some suffered more than others. But you know the fact that I was diversified actually helped me. So just something to keep in mind. Another another thing that people don't always think about is asset protection. So that is things like insurance. That is things like keeping things up to date. It is things like having it diversified and having uh, assets in uh, locations which have got strong uh, legal protection, let's say, um, of our title and our interest in the property. So consider the asset protection side of things too. Equally, interest rates. um, We were in a historically low uh, interest rate environment at the moment but it hasn't always been that way so keep that in mind and whether you want to fix and if you want to fix long term so that you don't have any nasty surprises to deal with and plan for the cycles there are economic cycles and there are property cycles and they come around like clockwork so plan for them Uh, there will be ups and downs highs and lows opportunities to get in uh, opportunities or not opportunities actually threats that we need to be mindful of so keep that in mind and again, finally, um, operating as a business, as I mentioned, there was these common points. So in the context of managing a portfolio, that's considering things like ownership. So probably when we get going, you know, sticking an investment in, a, in, a, in our own name is what most people would consider. But if you're A, thinking of doing this for the long term, and B, uh, thinking of having multiple properties or multiple income, or you are a higher rate taxpayer then you at least should look into investing through a company structure. And you might consider doing it sooner rather than later. But, you know, there's a balance to be had. I know people, you know, you you can earn basically £50,000 as an individual and still remain a basic taxpayer. So if you're a couple, that's £100,000 before you have to pay a higher rate tax. So going straight into incorporating or running through a company is not necessarily the right thing to do um, for all people. But if you've got a long-term time horizon, you want to retain more of your income, um, you know, instead of paying income tax on it, you pay perhaps a lesser rate of corporation tax on it, and you can reinvest those profits, then at least consider um, incorporating or running through a company. But there's a trade-off there because running um, financing for companies is actually more expensive um, and not as straightforward as it is perhaps with buy for an individual's name. And don't forget the use of trust structures as well. That's perhaps a little bit advanced uh, for your first bite to let. But if if you're thinking, um, because my next point is all about uh, exit and legacy. So what is your exit plan? What is your uh, legacy plan? Uh, This is where things like trusts uh, or companies can actually come into play, um, or even pensions, actually. So if you're thinking of, you know, trying to pass on your Legacy, your assets onto the next generation. You need to be having the conversation with a decent tax advisor about incorporation, about trusts, about the use of pensions, um, and, and 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 wills. Actually, so these these are the sort of topics that you need to consider. And the other thing to consider, of course, is taxation. So uh, taxation in the context of income tax, but also capital gains tax, and in uh, or and or sorry, income tax or corporation tax, uh, capital gains tax, or and Um, inheritance tax. So Basically, there will be a tax take somewhere along the line and you need to plan for that and uh, prepare for it. I'm sure there's much, much more I could cover, uh, but we're already about 40 minutes in. So I think I'll leave it at that for today. We're going to have the panel discussion to follow up on this, but hopefully that sets the scene a little bit for you in terms of managing properties, managing projects and managing your portfolio. So I guess all that uh, I should say is the show notes for today are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. If you'd like to talk to me about anything from today's episode, you can email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. And I guess all that remains to be said right now is thanks very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on The Property Voice Podcast, peace out.